Pray with me. Jesus, you are the treasure that our hearts have been waiting for, for our whole lives. You're the pearl of great price. You're the cache of gold coins buried in a field. And when we find you, nothing we have would be too much to give away to get you. So thank you that you are the Lion of Judah and the Lamb that was slain. Thank you for your beautiful, wonderful, powerful name. And we pray with the psalmist in Psalm 22, Lord, do not be far from us today. If there's distance between us, you didn't put it there. Our hearts are drawn away by so many baubles, so many worthless things that would call for our mind's attention and heart's affection. But today, in worship, we say, God, You are worth it. You're worth our whole lives. And we recognize Your supreme worth above all other things. And Lord, we come to the altar today, and what can we give You poor as we are? We give You our hearts today and ask that You would receive them and give them back to us transformed, transfigured for Your glory so that we glorify You forever and enjoy You forever, God. This is our heart's cry. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God is good all the time. Please be seated. So the cattle on a thousand hills belong to God. You know that verse? The cattle on a thousand hills belong to God. And I'm pretty sure I saw them all this weekend at the Fort Worth Stock Show. I just remember walking around saying, there are a lot of cows. Cows everywhere you look. And one of the cows was ours and our daughter was showing the cow and it was just kind of fun to, to be there. It's a kind of different part of life than I've ever really been involved with. Though I pastored a couple of rural churches for 11 years and helped out hauling hay on occasion. But this was really fun. And, and being there was amazing because every cow has a number. And when they, there's a group of cows, and when they call your cow's number, you got to go. And, that, and the judge looks at the cow and you know, I was just feeling for the cows because the judge is talking about the cows right in front of them and saying, this is what's wrong with this cow. And this is what's wrong with this one. This one's neck is not feminine enough. And I'm like, says who? You know, how do you decide that? And I'm just watching all of this and just thinking about when they call your number, you don't want to be doing something else. You want to be there. And all of this a reminder to me of the words of Peter Marshall who said, Christians, the people of God, obey an imperious summons which cannot be denied when you hear the voice call you you have to respond to that voice friend of ours um, this happens every uh, four years or eight years when there's an inauguration a new government is set up there's a peaceful transfer of power and there's a new government and when the new government is set up then they have to repopulate all those offices and I didn't know this I was talking with somebody about it this morning they send a beachhead of people, just a small group of people, and they begin to set up uh, that. And a member of our church who normally worships in this service has been called 
uh, to be a part of that. And so she's going and being a part of that. And she's just a very brilliant lady and, and uh, amazing and so grateful that, that this is. But when, but when the, the, the phone call comes, come, when the phone call comes from the president's office, so think about whoever your favorite president is. This may make it easier. Whoever your favorite president is, if they called you and said, we want you to help us, and we need you to help set up the beachhead, the beachhead where you land, and then you're going to take over the whole, the whole thing. That's the, that's the work. And in fact, what Jesus Christ did when He came to earth in establishing the church was to set up a beachhead, a different government, if you will, in which He would be king, and we would be His people who were establishing His kingdom. And Matthew tells us how that started, sort of the inauguration of Jesus' ministry. And this has something to say about our corporate calling, if we will hear it today. There has been an imperious summons. It's not the president who's called us. It's the king. And someday the king is coming. But right now, he's calling. And if you pick up your phone and you see the name there is G-O-D, do you take that call? And what will you say? Would you open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 to 23? Last week in our early service, um, Gray Layton read John's account of John the Baptist saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he tells his disciples, and two of his disciples begin to follow Jesus. And Jesus says, What, what do you want? What do you want? And they say, we want to know where you stay. And Jesus says, come and see. And they stay with him all day long. That's John and Andrew. That's the first time they encounter Jesus. Now, this is sort of the sequel to that where Jesus calls them into action. Let's stand together and hear the word of the Lord. The King is calling. The King is calling. Will we answer when he calls? Matthew chapter 4, verse 12. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said. And I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. 
This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please, please be seated. Aslan is on the move. You who read C.S. Lewis, Chronicles of Narnia, know that phrase. Aslan is on the move. Aslan the lion begins to move, uh, causing the animal characters in the book to whisper to each other, Aslan is on the move, Aslan is on the move. And then one has with trepidation the audacity to ask, is he safe? Is the lion safe? And another character answers, no, he's not safe. But he's good. The lion of Judah, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world was on the move for 30 years. He lived in Nazareth. He was a carpenter's son. We believe he worked in a carpenter's shop. Then there came a day when he heard God's voice. He did what God wanted him to do as the son of God. He walked out of Nazareth. He was baptized. Then he went into the wilderness and was tempted. And then he hears that his cousin who was sent as a prophet to prepare the way of the Lord, has been put in prison, and now Jesus literally moves from Nazareth to Capernaum. But He doesn't move alone because as He's walking along the seashore there, some of these men that He had already met, the Gospel of John tells us, He says to them, follow Me. And they drop everything and leave everything and begin to follow Him. And notice this, they don't go alone. So He calls them two by two. So from the very beginning, Jesus was not just calling one person to a relationship with Himself, but from the very beginning, this movement that He was starting was a corporate movement with two people at a time. Just so you know, your salvation was personal, but it was never individual. It was always a call to be in a community with other people, to be a part of the beachhead that is setting up God's kingdom on the earth. That's why Jesus said, repent, for the kingdom is near, and I'm the king, and I'm here, and now I want you to be a part of my kingdom. And there's this imperious summons that will not be denied, leading Henry Blackaby to rightly say, you cannot go with God and stay where you are. If you're going to go with God, God is on the move in this world. You're going to have to move because where He is, that's where you want to be. And I wonder how God's calling of Tallowood Baptist Church in 2017 is going to make you and me move. I'm confident it will. What will He lead us to do? The call of discipleship is always a corporate invitation to transformation, to become a learner, a disciple of Jesus, but not alone. Because disciples, it turns out, are made in community. So it's not just Andrew, but it's Andrew and Peter. It's not just James, but it's James and John. And then later he will call Matthew to join Andrew and Peter and James and John. And you and I are part of that. And the individualization of Christianity is a pretty recent Western phenomenon, Jesus and me. Never was just Jesus and me. It's Jesus and us. The called people of God 
who have been invited to transformation. Can I show you first the invitation? Here it is. Jesus walking along the shore. He's already said, repent. Which, by the way, doesn't just mean to feel sorry. Repent means to change your mind so that you change your conduct. And only God can empower us to do that. But He does call us to do that. So it's repent. The kingdom of heaven is near. And in a way, when He says to James and John and to Peter and Andrew, follow me, what He's saying is repent of fishing. Change from just being fishermen. Likely, they were successful. That was, a, that was a pretty lucrative industry. We know from the first century world, they live on a lake, if you will. We think of the Sea of Galilee like we think of uh, the Mediterranean Sea or the Black Sea or the Caspian Sea. No, actually, uh, it's, it's, it's eight miles by 13 miles. It's not a big, it's like a lake, right? I didn't research, but there are lakes that size in the state of Texas. This is not a great lake. This is not Michigan or Huron or Erie. No, this, this is just a lake. Sometimes Luke, Luke always calls it a lake because Luke has seen seas. And he knows what a lake is, the lake of Gennesaret, the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus goes there in the city of Capernaum, and he is walking along the shore, and he's saying, repent, because Because even though making a living is important, receiving the life that God has for you is more important. Here's the thing about God's call in your life. If He is the King, then His call has primacy, supremacy over every other calling in our lives. How do we see that? Well, they just leave their boats behind. They leave, they change their occupation that day. This is the way God works. Peter Marshall years ago said... God has always called people from something to Himself. So He brought Moses. Remember, Moses was on the mountain minding his business, minding the sheep. And God said, I have business that's more important than your business. He took Amos from the herds of Tekoa. Sycamore, fig-picking shepherd Amos. And sent him to preach a very unpopular message. He beckoned Peter, James, and John from the fishing boats. He called Livingston from the mill. In Scotland, he called Carey from his cobbler's bench. He claimed Moody from the shoe store so that he might have beautiful feet that brought good news. From the mills, the factory, the farm, they come from the ranks of mediocrity. Sometimes from the gutters of sin, he calls them, he changes them, and he makes them His messengers, they hear an imperious summons which will not be denied. And they answer that call. And God has been doing this, we know from Matthew, for 2,000 years. God speaks and says, I want you to follow me. And so they change their occupation, or at least their preoccupation, which made me wonder, what is our preoccupation? What is that one consuming thing for us that matters more than anything else in the world? And I just want to say, whatever it is that dominates your attention, that you think about when you wake up in the morning, that's your last thought before you go to bed at night, whatever it is, if it's not God, here's the thing about God. He will ruthlessly eradicate everything that is not God so that He can have the primacy, the kingship over our lives. So they, they change occupations. They, they change allegiances. So think about this. 
they're fishing with their dad. James and John are fishing with their dad, Zebedee. We know from the other gospels they've got multiple boats, which means they were probably pretty wealthy. They've got servants, which means they were likely very wealthy. And, and they're, they're preparing their nets to go fishing. I mean, they're, they're working hard, and Jesus just says, come. And they, just, they, they not only leave their boat and their nets, but they leave their dad. Because more important than any other relationship in this world is relationship with God. More important than any other relationship in this world. So they leave Zebedee. So following Jesus Christ means that we can no longer be just about ourselves anymore. So David Brooks, uh, years ago, uh, the New York Times columnist wrote, commencement speakers are always telling young people to follow your passions, be true to yourself. It's a vision of life that begins with self and unfortunately ends with self. But people on the road to character growth don't find their vocations by asking, what do I want from life? What about me? No, they ask, what is life? Or I would say, what is God asking of me? And how can I match the talent he's given me with one of the world's deep needs? Imperious summons which will not be denied. Dietrich Bonhoeffer captures it. He says, so Christianity, Christian discipleship is, is always, it's about, it's about the living Christ. It, it's because Christianity without discipleship, um, without Christ, is Christianity without discipleship. And Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. It, it means adherence to Christ. It means coming to live with Him and experience. It's not just a list of rules that we're now going to keep. It's about a relationship with Him in which we grow to love Him more and more for a lifetime. And it's more important than anything else. So when I was in college years ago, the the undisputed coolest guy on the campus, and if you were on campus also, and I'm not talking about you, I mean you no harm. I'm not talking about myself either, but there was this guy who was like big man on campus, and his dad had been president of the student body at Baylor, and his dad had big plans for him. And along the way to his dad's big plans for him, God had other plans for him and this and he answered God's call to preach. I remember March the 1st of 1981, he and I knelt down beside Waco Creek and said, "God, if you want us to be pastors of churches, our answer to you is yes." And within months, he and I were both pastors of churches and just a very gifted young man. He, he uh, planted a church in Austin. He writes books. And what's interesting is Only when I came here, because he and I both pastored churches in Austin, but when I came here and I was put on the board of the university that I attended, that's when I met his dad, who was the chairman of the board. And we were riding on a, a shuttle bus one day, and he said, do you know how I felt the day when my son, after talking with his youth minister, came to me and said, God has called me to be a pastor. He said, do you know how I feel? And I, I thought, okay, this guy is chairman of the board of a big Christian university. He's going to say I felt great. But no, no. He got tears in his eyes. And he said, I had plans for my son. I wonder how Zebedee felt when James and John walked away. He said, I had plans for my son. And I was thinking this week, I wonder what, what Will Davis Sr.'s plans were for Will Davis Jr. I wonder what he thought. Because building on Will Davis Sr., who had written the education law for the state of Texas, maybe he was thinking, you know, if things break right, my son might be the governor of the great state of Texas someday. Or he might be, he might be the president of the United States someday. I mean, Will Davis Sr. was thinking big things for his only son. And then his son talked to a student minister and came to his dad and said, I'm going to preach. And I waited for his dad to finish the story. And he said, I, 
I bless my son and what he is doing, but it was hard for me. And I wonder, parents, if God tapped one of your kids on the shoulder and had an entirely different plan for their lives than your plan for their lives, how would you respond to that? How would you receive that? What's it like, Zebedee, to see your two business partners, your sons, whom you've groomed from birth to take over the family business, leave the business and go into an entirely different business? But then Will Davis Sr. went home to be with the Lord this year and I was thinking, I'm pretty sure in heaven right now he's not saying, man, if only my son had been a governor. If only my son had been president. Not that those positions are unimportant or or that they can't be used to bring great glory to God. But I suspect if you ask Will Davis Jr. today, he would say any other job would be a demotion because this is what God wanted me to do. And it's a part of being the shepherd of, of a body of believers. And it's an invitation. It's God's initiation. It's God tapping on the shoulder. You look in Scripture, and it's not just people sort of bump into God unexpectedly. It's always they're walking one way, and they run right into God. And God says, so leave all of that. Leave that behind. And come and follow me. You're called away from something. You're called to something. You're called to follow. Literally, to be covered with the dust of your rabbi to walk so closely behind him that you become like him so it's an invitation inevitably invitation to transformation we've made christianity a bit transactional so god i'll do this for you if you'll do this for me that is not what the scriptures teach here's the transaction follow him He'll give you your marching orders. That, it's a transformation. It's becoming. So we're transformed. Paul will write to the Romans by the renewing of our minds. So our minds are changed and our lives change. And I just think about people I've seen through the years who used to be this and now they've become that. And the only explanation for that is God. That's what Jesus did. So Peter was a fisherman. He would have been happy, I suppose, to fish for the rest of his life. But Jesus said, no, I'm going to make you. Here's the transformation. The same God who made the Sea of Galilee and all the fish in it and the wood to make the boats says to Peter, I'm going to make you. I'm going to make you into a fisher of men. So Peter, it's not just about you making a living. It's about you giving life, being a life-giving community to other people. When people ask me, what kind of church is Tallowood? I always answer, every time, life-giving. They were expecting me to say some denomination. Life-giving. God gave us life and we want to give it away to other people. This is our calling. And to be called by God is to, to realize He is constantly making us, transforming us in good ways so that we can do His work in the world because it turns out, as you well know, our world's in a lot of trouble. And how will we help them? We will f- I was on the, on the bayou this week walking in Hershey Park and I have a new friend named Bill who's got a, a Labrador, a beautiful Labrador named Isabella who actually obeys, which is unlike my Labrador. And I was just, you know, how did that happen? I'm talking to him and one day he says, you know, I used to be a fishing guy. And he says, people don't realize when you fish, you're hunting. The fish aren't looking for you. You're looking for them. And Jesus says, I'm going to make you a fisher of people. You're going to fish for people. One guy literally had this fulfilled in his life. Uh, his name, uh, Kel uh, Wilhelmson. 
He's fishing in Norway, and he's got a guy he doesn't know, a Danish guy, a guy from Denmark, and he's fishing for salmon, and the guy gets caught by a current and gets swept away. But, but Kel has fished that water before, so he runs across the bridge with his fishing pole, no kidding, and casts trying to catch this guy before he swept out to sea. He said, when he came under the bridge, all I could see was his face and the tips of his boots. And he was paralyzed, and he was going out to sea. And I cast with my homemade lure, and I caught his rubber waders. And that's when the real fun began, because he weighed 250 pounds, and I did not have 250-pound test line. Fisherman, you know what I mean? And so I worked and worked, and he saved the man's life, Jens Overson. He saved Jens's life that day. This is the work that God's called us to, if you will. It's, it's in the old Winnie the Pooh story, and, uh, and Eeyore has fallen into the river, and Eeyore is floating and is going down the river, and all of his friends say, is it damp in the river this morning? And Eeyore says, yes, it is. Are you uncomfortable? Yes, I am. And as he's about to go out of sight, he, he yells back to his friends, if it isn't too much trouble, would you mind rescuing me? This is what fishing for people is. It's finding people who, for all the world, look like they're going under for the last time, and we are not just like a yacht club who goes out on the water when it's convenient. We are those, we are a life-saving station. For this, God put us in the world. And since we've had our lives saved, saving the lives of others is very important to us. Because God has saved us, we want all people to be saved. And so we preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. Because we believe that once we begin to follow Jesus, there is no turning back. And and we can talk about it in, in the generalities for the rest of our lives. But the, the, the bottom line is... Um, that, as Haddon Robinson said, we miss the point when we do that. So here's the point. A kind of arithmetic has been spawned in the counting rooms of hell. That's where it came from. This kind of arithmetic that's always interested in reaching the masses, but somehow never gets down to a man or a woman. This kind of arithmetic always talks about winning the world for God, but doesn't much think about winning our neighborhoods for God. That arithmetic makes it valiant to cross oceans, but never really crosses streets. Look, God may call you to cross the ocean, but until He does, just cross the street. Just walk across to your neighbor and and find out who they are and find out what's going on in their lives. And believe me when I say, the ministry will come to you. We are all called to ministry. We just fund it in different ways. But we're all called to it. To this we were called, that we might be a life-saving station. And I read... Uh, Tommy Henson's commentary this week. He and his son loved to watch shuttle launches, and they were looking back at all these old videos, and he heard an expression from the, the people who were at the mission control, and they said, the point of negative return, and this got his attention. He said, what's the point of negative return? You know what it is? So he looks it up, and it turns out NASA defines the point of negative return. When the shuttle is launching, there comes a point where if the engines fail and the shuttle were to release from the engines, Negative return means it couldn't make it back to the place where it launched from. It could never actually make it back. Now, the good news is it's at the point where it's going to go into orbit. Negative return. It's going to go. The purpose of the shuttle is not to stay on the ground, but actually to orbit the earth. The purpose of the church is not to stay where we are, but to go with God. And we orbit around the center of the universe, which, by the way, is not us, but Christ 
And we center our lives in Him. And we are orbiting around Him. And Tommy Henson said, Jesus is saying, only by crossing the point of negative return, letting go of the option to turn back, can you actually do what you're meant to do. Whatever your landing site was, maybe it was your identity or your sense of purpose, before you came to Christ, you need to leave all possibility of returning behind. Just to be clear, if you choose to follow Jesus Christ, you are never, ever going to return to business as usual. You're not going to be the same. Life's not going to be the same. Because it wasn't meant to be. But to be part of this community is to hear the imperious summons of God saying, I am establishing a beachhead for my government. I am the King, the Lord of all the earth. And you get to be a part of that. Are you in? I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for calling us to be Your people on mission in this world. We confess, Lord, that the world is very much with us today. And we are bound by any number of things that would draw our heart's attention, our heart's affection, our mind's attention away from You. But now, Lord, we can commit again that today if we hear Your voice, We will not harden our hearts. Lord, would you give us this city? We know we're not alone. We've got lots of sister churches. Would you give us collectively this city for your kingdom? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.